You know, for a long time, I meant to try Pete's coffee, but just never gave it a chance. But ever since I did, I have a hard time settling on anything less. And there's something to say about a coffee company with such rich history and devotion to bring you that perfect brew. Since Alfred Pete opened his first coffee bar in 1966, Pete's has selectively sourced the finest beans in the world, carefully calibrating each roast by hand and crafting each beverage with the utmost care. Pete's aims to produce fresh from the roaster's coffee delivered directly to your door, sourcing the top 1% of coffee beans, roasted by hand to unlock each bean's potential, and delivering it to you fresh to bring you the perfect cup. With over 30 flavor varieties in both gourmet coffees and teas, like Vietnam Lotus Bold, Major Dickinson's Blend, and Arabian Mocha Java, you are sure to find the right flavor to start your day. And they even come in K-Cups for those of you who live life on the go. Check out all the varieties of Pete's has to offer by following the link in the show notes below. And starting August 30th, you can take advantage of their Labor Day sale and get yourself 20% off anything on their site by using promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout. This offer is valid through September 5th. That's promo code LABORDAY20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase this Labor Day. But why not do one better? Use promo code NEWSUB30 at checkout and you get yourself 30% off of a new subscription to Pete's Coffee. That's right. All the delicious coffee you could want delivered right to your door each and every month without you ever having to worry about running low. What more could you ever need? That's promo code NEWSUB30 for 30% off your subscription. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. My name is Sean Tatro, and today with my girlfriend and co-host Leah Diana, we will be winding back the reel to 1963. Shocked by the death of her spouse, a scheming widow hatches a bold plan to get her hands on the inheritance, unaware that she is targeted by an axe-wielding murderer who lurks in the family's estate. What mystery shrouds the noble house in Francis Ford Coppola's debut film, Dementia 13? Let's get into it. The funeral ceremony is today. Kathleen's dead for seven years. Why do you keep having the same ceremony over and over again? Castle Halloran is a very strange place. The kind of place you'd expect a ghost to like to wander around in. And it's haunted by Kathleen. How did she die? She drowned in the pond. Remember all those years ago, the dreams, faces in the shadows. The Kathleen stars. One of you has a brilliantly imaginative and sadistic mind. 
Tell me what happened. There's some things you don't understand. Not yet. Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers. Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! The nightmare. Deaths of hell. So have you ever looked at the theatrical poster for this movie? No. So it's a really cool art piece, but I wanted to mention right off the bat what this poster says. And I quote, Are you afraid of death by drowning? Have you ever attempted suicide? Have you ever thought of committing murder? These are some of the questions that will be asked in the unprecedented D13 test to prepare you for the horrifying experience of Dementia 13. If you fail the test, you will be asked to leave the theater. What? Yeah. <laughs> I. This is huge on the poster. I don't know if this was actually a thing, and I kind of want to know. Well, Google it is. I want to say it was more than likely a gimmick. Here are the details for the D13 test. Below are the reduced reproductions of the questionnaire actual size. This is available for you in matte form from National Screen Service. It is recommended that you have these printed in your towns for the best ad price advantage and to avoid shipping costs. Hand these to each patron as they enter the theater and permit them to fill them out in the lobby. The decision as to whether they remain to see the picture or leave is entirely voluntary on the part of the patron. As you know, D13 test is further explained in the feature picture itself in a special prologue by Dr. W.J. Bryant, MD of Beverly Hills. And it shows an actual test. That's incredible. So this was like a one of those kind of promotional gimmicks that they did before the movie. Have you ever spoken out loud to yourself in a mirror? Do you always think carefully before you speak? Have you raised your hand in anger to a close relative? Do you believe yourself to be sincere, although others may not? Oh my god. This is really intricate. This is a, like an actual... And then there's an analysis of the answers at the bottom. Which is printed upside down. Well, they figured people couldn't read upside down. Hint, hint, we can read upside down. And backwards. Oh, fuck. This is cool, man. This is really cool. You must pass the D13 test to prepare yourself for the horrifying experience of Dementia 13. Once we get deeper into it, I would like to talk about the title. Well, this week we watched Dementia 13. Um, this was the directorial debut of Francis Ford Coppola. It was written by Francis Ford Coppola, produced by Roger Corman, which there's actually a fun fact there before I continue, that Francis Ford Coppola was actually assisting Roger Corman on the set of a movie called The Young Racers, which was shot in Ireland. And Corman allowed Coppola to use the same set, crew, actors from that film to make this film as long as he could shoot it around the shooting schedule of Young Racers. Okay. 
So the only reason this movie happened was because Roger Corman was giving Francis Coppola a shot. I think that's really interesting. And if he didn't give him a shot, the Godfather would never be around? Basically. Ow! We have Roger Corman to thank. So this film stars Mary Mitchell, Bart Patton, Luana Anders, and William Campbell, which I thought was absolutely hilarious because the second William Campbell came on screen, you asked if this was Bruce Campbell's brother, and it's not. Really? <laughs> but it's, they just happen to have the same last name. Oh, that's funny. Well, that's because he has the he has the butt chin. Yeah. He's that predominant butt chin. They do look a little bit alike. This movie originally released September 25th, 1963. It was made on a budget of $42,000. I do not have any numbers on what it brought in. Mm. What did you think of Dementia 13? Francis, why was it named Dementia 13? That's that's one of my questions right now. I would like I would like to ask about because last week we didn't we didn't mention the title until like almost the end of this the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, I would like to know what the fuck does Dementia 13 stand for? Because I was kind of like back and forth between it because did the son have dementia or did the mother have dementia? I personally believe the mother had dementia. Hmm. The son had a whole different series of issues. So it just should be everybody's ill 13, basically. So the US title for this is Dementia 13. Um, In the UK, it came out under the title The Haunted and the Hunted. So I have a little bit of an answer. Francis Francis Ford Coppola answered these questions in 2021. Why is the movie called Dementia 13? No more of the plot shall be revealed here, but as Coppola Coppola points out, Corman wanted to make a ripoff of William Castle's Homicidal, which itself was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So Dementia 13 is, as Coppola put it with a laugh, a ripoff of a ripoff. Maybe so, but this is not a slasher film. No, but it definitely has slasher elements. Honestly, it does. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. As I wrote in my notes here, the film actually plays out like a murder mystery wrapped up in a ghost story with a violent axe murderer thrown in for good measure. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird blend of different elements that kind of come together to make this psychological narrative. Yes. It is a very interesting story. I will put it that way. It's not terrifying, but it is interesting. Well, we are introduced into this story in the midst of dysfunction. Mm. So, like, we have this, we're shown this dysfunctional relationship between a husband and wife, and they're discussing the... The implications, if he dies, she gets nothing. Because mother's very strict, and mother's donating all of her money to a charity in remembrance of a Kathleen. And the new wife is like, I don't know who this is. Why aren't you getting money? What is happening? We, we need to convince her, blah, 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 all this shit. And I'm like, okay. Well, it kind of eases us in a little bit, like, because we're not entirely sure what's going on at this exact moment. They're going out on a boat in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and they're talking about how she's, if he dies, nothing, she's not going to get anything because... The mo- money in this, in his family, is all controlled by his mother. She is leaving, like you said, she's leaving everything to the remembrance of Kathleen. To the remembrance exactly? of Kathleen, yeah. Which is 
was her youngest daughter. I believe they say she had her when she was 40. Yes. So, and she since passed away uh, due to accidental drowning. Yes. Now, this is all just in the first, like, couple of minutes of this movie. We, we kind of get introduced to all these little el- these little notes to- throughout this conversation and then he's I guess rowing too hard and ends up having a heart attack and dies yeah. before they can get back to shore because he didn't bring his pills his medication with him or he did and there was nothing in there well he brought the bottle but there was no pills left in it so after seeing that scene do you think that he was like he knew his wife was a very money hungry kind of person and decided well you're not gonna get anything fuck you kind of thing well yeah i think that's pretty clear from this opening scene like their banter back and forth kind of tells you that they don't love each other that they're maybe they did at one point but like or she maybe she just married him for the money yeah and he at this point knew that and just didn't care about what happened to her yeah it's, it reminded me very much of the husband and wife in House on Haunted Hill. Vincent Price and his wife. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like that. They just... It's a marriage that, and they hate each other. Like it doesn't... They shouldn't be together at all. Yeah. Anyway, he dies on the boat and she immediately jumps to the conclusion of how do I get rid of him? Which told me she's been thinking about this for a long time. Very long time. And now she found herself in this situation. She's like, okay, I'm going to get rid of the body. Splish. She throws him overboard. For some reason, he just immediately sinks. Like a fucking (laughs) rock. Oh no, she tied tied an anchor to him. Did she tie an anchor to him? She did, because you see, right before she pushes his feet overboard, she gets the anchor. She struggles with like this heavy thing. You see that. Oh, okay. I must have missed that part. But yeah, she throws him overboard. She then goes home and kind of packs up his shit, writes a fake letter saying that he has to leave town on like a business trip, slips it under his mother's door, and then she goes and gets rid of his luggage and stuff in the same lake. Yep. uh, So that people think he left. And then her plan is to then woo the mother so that she can convince her to make them a part of the will. Yeah. Which I don't really understand what her plan was there. So I think her the idea was to make the mother because she saw the mother was very mentally unstable since Kathleen had passed. So she was going to take advantage of her and gain her trust and convince her that Kathleen was giving her signals and then gain her trust because she's like, oh, you you want the tiara? Because I think the diamond tiara, she said, was worth millions. So, and I think the doctor was the one who figured that out, too. That, you know, everyone's talking about Louise being the money-grubbing, gold-digging wife who just wanted money. So, I think everybody knew what she was trying to do. Just the mother was very... That's why I think the mom had dementia. Dementia was more of, like, law... Like, in... Francis Fort Coppola's, like, mind, the loss of logical, critical thinking. Like, she's not seeing the fact that Louise is a bad person. She's just very stuck on this whole, at once a year, I have to I have to mourn my daughter because she's still gone. Right. That's what I think. No, I agree. I, I definitely think that he's using the 
term dementia as as a means of like someone not being in their right mind, mm. which is basically what it is anyway. Yeah. It's just you can't boil it down to the what we know dementia is now. Yeah. I would absolutely like to kind of thrust us into this by talking a little bit about the score for this film. I didn't notice the score as much. Are you serious? Like, I was more for... Okay, so what caught me in this movie were the visual elements. Even with it being black and white, the visual elements caught me. Okay, I do want to talk about those. Mm. But before that, I felt like the score for this movie was... Like, hearing it now, like, I'd never seen this before. Yeah. So watching this movie for the first time, I can't believe the score is not, like, a more popular, well-known score. It's a pretty good score, like, trying to think about it, but it didn't pop out to me. Well... Like, it reminded me very much of, like, Psycho. Like, it's got that high-intensity, like, stabbing piano. Is that the one that goes... Yes. Okay, yeah. I remember... I remember that from Universal Studios. So, so it has like a it has a prominent theme right at the beginning, very similar to Psycho, and then like the score heard throughout is very like intense, especially during the kill scenes. Mm. I, I don't know. I I found myself thinking, I want this on fucking vinyl. Why does this not exist? And it doesn't. I looked. It doesn't. You can't get it on vinyl. Oh man, that blows. At least not. At present time, so if somebody like Waxwork Records or, you know, Sacred Bones or somebody wants to put that out, I'll buy it. Um, Hint. Hint. Back to what you were saying about the visuals. It was pretty apparent to me that Coppola developed a keen eye for his cinematography very early in his career. Yeah. Like, his camera techniques are much more advanced than many other other people were doing at this time. He was utilizing camera motion whenever possible Mm -hmm. and much more unique framing than you'd be used to seeing in black and white movies. Mm -hmm. Like normally you would get like in a black and white film like House on Haunted Hill, for example, most of those shots were just flat. They were like the cameras placed here. You you perform in front of the camera. Then we say, okay, cut move the camera do another yeah or they would like lock off the camera somewhere and just kind of like follow the actors with a pan yeah in this the camera was always moving it was always dynamic in some way it was shaky but you have to remember this is 1963 this is his first film he's not at godfather level at that point oh yeah not by any means but you can see where he honed his craft in with these earlier movies because there's one shot where the doctor is walking to like the barn or something and it's that shot of just seeing his hand and his foot and the ground and like, moving at like a downward at, dutch yeah, at a angle downward angle just following him and i'm like ooh i'm like that's cool i'm like but it's it's very shaky and it doesn't quite it's not quite very seamless like we know him to be and i'm like oh okay i see he used this over and over again right and uh, he uses a lot of like a a lot of contrast as much as possible yeah throughout this movie so like he the first time i really noticed it was um when they all start to arrive at the house mm. and you see that all the characters are dressed in black which kind of it ties the memorial theme together yeah but it also emphasizes that like lingering presence of death at the same time it makes the characters themselves and their performances pop in a little in a subtle way because mm-hmm. everything is dark 
but then like you're so you're focused more on their faces their body language something about the visual style of this one delivered a feeling that we're in the hands of a true craftsman to me at least the film like exuded this feeling of higher quality and skill and Mm -hmm. you didn't find that in black and white movies really ever like it was always this is how movies are made in a very basic way this is also not without its flaws like as you pointed out pretty early on uh there's a scene where they're standing richard's wife i forget her name and uh billy Mm -hmm. are standing down by the lake talking and there's a extremely prominent boom shadow cast across them it was beautiful like it we and you pointed out oh maybe he thought oh people will think that's a tree branch Tree branches do not look like a boom mic, like example, because I'm I'm still stuck in bed. But my my snowball is attached to a bookshelf, attached to an arm with wires in front of me while I'm elevating lying down elevating my leg lying down. It's very prominent. Like you cannot mistake wires and a big old fluffy mic. Yes, but to be fair, still at this time. Most people wouldn't have known what a boom mic looks like. I mean, it looks weird. Who's got a branch that's round and fluffy? It's weird, but I can see what, like, how people might not have really thought anything of it. I can see it. Okay. But there's there's a lot of little issues, like there's certain shots that are just completely out of focus, and there's other ones where you can see, like, the vignetting from the the lens or the matte box mm-hmm. around the ver- the corners of the frame. Honestly, these are all forgivable things, given yeah. that he was working off of a Roger Corman budget, essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true as well. I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, Roger Corman is notorious for being as cheap as humanly fucking possible, and I love him for it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes, because... You have to think, like, he mastered the art of getting his money's worth out of anything. So, like, let's put it this way. If he made a... If he decided to make a sci-fi space epic, mm-hmm. he would put spend the money, build the set... Or spend the money as little as humanly possible, build the sets, and then he would say, okay, we're going to use this set for five days they'd shoot their five days and then after those five days while the production moved on to shoot the next stuff Mm -hmm. he would say okay you you and you go write me three more movies that can utilize this set so he could make as much money off of each element as he possibly could red letter media picked on him for this didn't they oh yeah they do it all the time what other what other richard corman movies have we roger (laughs) richard roger Whatever. What other movies has he done that I haven't seen, but we've seen in passing? Uh, things like... I don't know if you'll remember a lot of them, but, like, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, Galaxy of Terror, Piranha 2. I thought this was a good director. Oh, no. Everything he's ever fucking directed or produced is basically shit, but... And he gave Francis Ford Coppola a break? Yeah, because Coppola was working on one of his movies and Corman basically just said yeah if you can make your movie around our schedule for this movie you can use all of our actors use all of our sets just so that basically meant that Coppola could make this movie for next to nothing oh he did so much who Roger Corman oh my god I'm looking at his (laughs) thing he did the Fast and the Furious in 54 yeah the original 
which is not the same type of Fast and the Furious that you remember. Attack of the Crab Monster. Oh, this title. The Saga of the Viking Woman and Their Voyage to the Waters of the Great Sea Serpent. We are saving that. I want to know what that is. You'll be happy to know that basically Roger Corman's entire catalog is in our wheelhouse. Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly? Isn't that a rapper? Yeah. He did a movie called that. What? Yeah, Machine Gun Kelly probably named himself after that movie. Well, I figured that. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. The original. Yeah. The original. I've never seen. The Pit and the Pendulums is? Yep. Tower of London? The Raven? Oh no, he's done a lot of good stuff. The Mask of the Red... Oh no, yeah, I've seen his shit. He's done a lot. Oh god. He's the one that did the Dunwich Horror. But the Dunwich Horror is 1970. But the movie we just watched... Oh god, what movie did we watch earlier? Uh, the... Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath? Was 1963. Well, Roger Corman was... Is still working, I'm pretty sure. I think these days he's like... If anything, just a producer who doesn't do much, but... He was an actor in The Howling. Yes. Actor in Swing Shift. He shows up in a lot of, like, bit parts, like, cameo roles. Silence of the Lambs? He's in Scream 2. No, I'm Scream 3. I'm only in 94, man. He was in Fantastic... He was the producer for Fantastic Four in 1994. Yeah, that super shitty looking one. He was the actor in, an actor in Scream 3. Death Race... God, Dino Shark, Dino Croc versus Super Gator. Dude, you sold out. Somehow this this episode turned into just talking about Roger Corman's career. Guys, Google Richard Corman. You're going to want to throw up. Roger Corman. Whatever. <laughs> Roger Corman. Google this fucking asshole. Oh my God. This is a partial list. He has directed 55 films and produced some odd 385 films. Yeah. What are you, a fucking movie production slut? Basically. Are you answering for Roger Corman or yourself? Why not both? Por que no los dos? Okay, back to the movie. <laughs> Good God. One last thing I'd like to say about the, the visual style of this is like the... I felt like the edits combined with the music really well to deliver like the most startling impact. The scene that comes to mind is when she sneaks into the, I think it was the little girl's old room. Yeah, she sneaks in there to steal some toys to kind of trick the mom. Yeah, and she's they do all these shots where she's like looking at things on shelves and they're moving, mm. and it like the camera will just cut to this thing, like it, the one she was that it did it the most was this little like bear with an axe that was like chopping. Yeah, it was weird. And it would just cut to this close-up of this thing, and it was just this stabbing music as the axe comes down. It was really intense. Like, good job on the foreshadowing, but... <laughs> you <all> right? <laughs> Are we still talking about Richard Corman? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um, so I didn't really do a play-by-play for this one. I tried to, but this movie was good, but I lost interest in it. Why? So the visuals were good. I really barely didn't hear the 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 soundtrack. The acting. Some of the acting was very dry to me. Let me remind you that these were Roger Corman actors. <laughs> Even when Louise was in the pond, she was still very dry. Ah. Huh? No, it lost my interest a little bit in like the big Okay, so like in the beginning middle. So what I didn't understand was 
Louise was trying to get the, the inheritance out of the mother. So she is watching the ritual. The two sons that are there and the mother go up to behind the grave, drop the flower, come back around. And then the mother's like, oh my God, like one of the one of the fresh flowers I just threw died when it hit the grave. That ended up that whole, like nothing else was said about that, nothing. So was there supposed to be a superstitious element? Supernatural element? I'm doing good today. Was there supposed to be a supernatural element to this? Uh, I think they were trying to miss. I think he was trying to mislead. Like, but that would have been fine if Louise hadn't seen it as well. Because at one point it goes to her. She looks over and the flower's dead. But it was fresh. So when she handed, I think it was the son. I think it was Billy who threw the first one. Was the one that Billy threw dead already? I mean, possibly. I just, I feel like once that happened, and then I was like, okay, you met with the mom and you were like, I can hear her. I can hear child's music in the house. She's calling to you. And I'm like, what is happening? Well, it, it, there, it feels like there's a chunk missing between the, the gravestone scene and when Louise is going to look for toys. There's a scene missing there. I mean, there might be. I, I think, so I think the intention there was that she saw how she reacted to something as trivial as that mm. and knew immediately that she could play on her like need for her daughter to be back yeah in some form so she essentially just immediately started to feed into that delusion as much as she could okay which i mean that made sense to me i mean yes but there's something missing a little in my mind because i would have liked another small scene at that point, just something little where maybe one of the brothers or the maid is with the mother, like once she's back, put back in bed and there's like a discussion of no, like maybe the flower that you had just maybe it was already withered or maybe it got dirty once it hit the ground. You know, it did rain or like just some small explanation to where you take this, take the supernatural element out of it. We already know there's no supernatural stuff happening. We already know this is a mystery more than anything. So I would like it if the audience wasn't left going, wait a minute, what about the dead flower? Like, I wondered about that the whole time. Was there going to be an element where she really was back? Also, they used a wax figure for Kathleen and they used a live actress. Yes. They used both because the live actress at one point, and I will say this, it looked like they were getting ready to do everything and she ran to her spot and laid down because all of a sudden you say like this yeah. and I'm like she is she is literally out of breath you should have given her like a five or ten count to catch her breath to go okay now shallow breathing so you don't you're not seen but she was like literally <sighs> what you're rolling shit <laughs> well this is like generally on a production of this size you, you're gonna have they're just like get it done Get it done. I'm surprised it's as good as it is, given like that Coppola was able to do as much as he was with it based on like the means he had. I mean, there were three, three continuity errors that I noticed. The boom mic. Yeah. Kathleen's breathing and Louise's breathing when she was hanging up. Yeah. I mean, I automatically, I knew it because I saw her eye flutter. I saw her mouth close and I saw her chest move and I was like, Chicky Poo, you're on film. Act like a corpse. Be the corpse. But, I mean, the rest of it, and I do have to remember it's 1963. It's Coppola's first film, first actual film. So 
I mean, nobody's first films are perfect. No, I mean, even uh, when you watch, like, Evil Dead, like, the first Evil Dead, Sam Raimi's first movie, there's flaws all over that fucking thing. But that movie feels like the flaws are just part of its charm. That's how I feel about it in these, though. I don't know. Like, I know this. I Maybe I'm just being a pain in the ass. But this man's reputation is so fucking amazing. Like, he is put on such a high pedestal. Watching this, I'm like, come down a couple of pegs, Coppola. We all Coppola. gotta start somewhere. Yeah, well, this man acts like he doesn't... He's never been on the bottom. He's always been on top. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, he's earned that. He right. has. He's earned it. But you also have to remember humble beginnings. Yes, I don't condone the way he is now. He or Scorsese, the two of them are ridiculous about stuff. Scorsese can be, um, but I mean, I would give him more respect than I would give Coppola. Coppola, from what I've heard, I've never met the man, but he, from what I've heard, he kind of has this like, my shit don't stink. He's a stickler about, about stuff. If, if it's not perfect, he gets upset. Look at your first film. It wasn't perfect. Remember where you're coming from. All directors are like this. I will give him that for a first film. This is pretty damn impressive. I'm very happy with the decision for black and white. Color would have ruined this. Oh, I agree. Color, use of having him focus on color as well wouldn't have been the same. I like the fact that it's black and white. And then the people that are not good people are gray. Like they wear color so they look great so if you look richard's fiance and wife she's always in white she's always very clean very proper very pristine she's the pure one she's the pure one the maid is black and white she is both the mother is always in black it could be morning that could be she's, she's not a good person when we first meet her she's in black but when she's in the bed she's in white he uses those to his advantage good evil gray means you're not you could be both. Neutral. Yeah. By the end, Louise is black and white. She's both. She could be a good person, but she's wearing black. But she's also, like, in a lake. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the that's the ending of her. Covered in mud. And then she's covered in mud. She's covered in blood, so she's covered in black by the end. I mean, I liked the fact that this was in black and white. This was the... That was the only thing that I was, like, appropriate. 100% appropriate. Yeah, maybe it's because it's a 60s movie and, you know, black and white was probably cheaper. As we've said with Clerks before, Clerks was in black and white because it was cheaper. Yeah, I almost guarantee that the choice was for black and white because it was cheaper. But he used it to it as his advantage. I agree, yeah. And this story, the story accentuates broken and, like, the broken and passively violent nature of this family. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like in color, this, that wouldn't have come across as well. No. I think keeping it minimalistic allowed for you to emphasize more, like, not emphasize more, um, focus more on the characters and the plot and what, like, the information you were being fed. Yes. Rather than waiting for the next kill scene. I wasn't looking for kill scenes in this one. I was more or less looking for... I was looking for the beauty in it. I was looking past the story because it was going to be a very basic story. It ended up not being as basic as I thought. Oh, I have a fun fact for you. Oh boy. So, are you aware of the band Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? Of course. Are you aware of the song American Girl? Of course. There is a line that... 
I don't know if it's Richard's fiance. I never remember her name or Louise. She says, she says, especially an American girl, she was raised on promises. Hmm. That line is in that song. Holy shit. Yep. Tom Petty she and the Heartbreakers. She was an American girl raised on promises. Yep. Yeah. Holy shit. That is from this That's movie. Cool. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, I love that song, American Girl. That is a really good song. This movie was shot in nine days. That's fucking intense. Like camping? No, not like camping. <laughs> like the past? Because it was in night. Get out! I can't. I have. I'm stuck. <laughs> Open the door. I'll fall down the stairs. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now I will say there was only one kill scene because the husband, because the first husband dies of a heart attack. So it's not really a kill scene. The second person who dies is the killer and it's not really... It's not really a kill scene. There's three? There's three. Where's What's the second one? So the second one would be Louise. That's what I'm saying. That was the only actual like kill scene. I thought there would be more like kill scenes. Oh, I thought you were just saying deaths. Yeah. No, no. Not just deaths. Like Two. The doctor played a risky game with fucking Billy. Yeah, no shit. That was a risky fucking game. He could have been the reason why Richard and his brand new wife died right there. I'm going to tell you right now, I knew Billy was the killer, like, immediately. Immediately. 100%. Immediately. Because when he was at that lake and he had that axe, I went, you should have never, ever I knew shown before that. Really? I knew the second they showed the flashback of, it was uh, him and... Kathleen. Kathleen as children running in the field, and then you see them, like, messing around. I was like, he threw her in the lake. He killed her. He's going to be the killer. <laughs> Immediately. Also, he threw her in the lake. Why didn't he just jump in and get her? Maybe he couldn't swim either. I don't think they mentioned whether or not he could at that Honestly, point. Honestly, I wish they would have mentioned something like, oh, my! Ch- I never taught my children how to swim. Or my children don't know. None of my children knew how to swim. Lay down the foundation, kids. If you lay down just a one line foundation or two lines or maybe a hint, your audiences will clue in a little more. It, it'll be more of a seamless story. We have been doing this podcast was it july now almost it's tomorrow's the first day of august for us yeah holy shit yeah we're not as uh caught up with these as we want to be august will be eight months eight months we've been doing this for eight months honey eight months 
And the one thing, and I've been watching movies with you and learning all about production and stuff. And I will say this, the one thing that I wish directors that anybody would do more is just give us two, three, four more seconds of a context clue into a plot. Include, you know, that stuff that that studios are like, oh, cut it out, it's not necessary. No, 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 put that shit back in sometimes. You're, it's there for a reason. Sometimes audiences need two, three, four more seconds of just a line, a clue, anything to make stories progress more seamlessly. The story in this progresses nicely, but it just, the questions don't get answered and the plot just doesn't seem as buttery smooth. It's very rocky. That's the one thing that I've learned from all of this is I wish directors would understand that even though studios or they will cut out like five, six, seven minutes of a film here and there, we need it. I'm not as smart as you. I don't catch this stuff as like you do. I need it. Give your audience back those few seconds, please. <laughs> please. For God's sakes. <laughs> this movie does a bit of gives us a bit of a Marion Crane treatment. I've never seen that movie all the way through. Oh, I'm just gonna kill myself. You say that every time. Either <laughs> shit or get off the pot. <laughs> Mary, well, this is our last episode. <laughs> is Marion Crane the one that gets killed in the shower scene? Yes. Okay. What do you mean by this movie gets the Marion Crane? So we spend a majority of this movie following, beginning of this movie, following a young blonde woman. She's technically a criminal. Uh, she is then suddenly violently killed in water and then the focus shifts to the remaining members of the family. The exact same thing happens in Psycho. Wait, Mary Crane is a, is a criminal? We'll get to Psycho. Like, I don't even care that you. I'm spoiling shit for you on this because Psycho is a goddamn classic and the fact that you haven't seen it is your, that's your fault. Back when Universal Studios Florida had the had the old display and stuff of Psycho. I have a picture of me standing in front of the motel. Yeah, you've never seen the movie. I've seen that scene on the big screen when we go to do the... They have the screen test things where they teach you how to do like movie like sound effects and shit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen that part there. Doesn't count. And I know the mom's not really alive. Doesn't count. Oh. Uh. Well, here I am. The disappointment of a girlfriend again. <laughs> You're not a disappointment. Stop it. Trash. <laughs> so I want to talk about family members are pretty decent. He did a good job trying to get you to think it's Richard, but I liked Richard too much as a person to think that he might be the killer. Oh, I never once thought Richard. No, they try. They try. He's like, no, no, look over thought- here. Look over here. Even though Billy's just like. I thought hey. me, they, they kept showing you things about Billy that made you like instantly know that he wasn't in his right mind. And then like, I thought maybe for like half a second, I was like, are they doing this? And then they're going to do a bait and switch and then it's going to actually be Richard and they're not really going to explain it. But I'm yeah. glad they didn't do that. <laughs> I think the dead giveaway was you have just met Richard's fiance. Just met her. And one of the things you do is freak out, throw an umbrella, and then take axe, and then just right on a tree and get angry. I'm like, he has anger issues. It's it's him. It's that kid. <laughs> like, it, it was it was a decent kind of like, oh, look, we're going to bait and switch. But it was like, 
Make it more believable. Make Billy more sweet, more innocent, more... If you're going to paint him the picture of a psycho, you got to do it carefully. Yeah. And they were kind of sloppy with it. But I really did think it might be the doctor for a little bit. Oh, God, that would have pissed me off. The doctor, when he was like, this family's troubled, like, get rid of all of this, get rid of it. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like, stop. I don't know. He just rubbed me the wrong way. 100% the wrong way. And I was hoping he wouldn't be the doctor because I was like, that would piss me off. I, it's got to be a family member. Has to be. Yeah. Like, why would the doctor, when he was like, oh, I was there. I was there when she drowned. And I'm like, well, why didn't you fucking save her? Like, what? Why would you kill her? Like, that was my first reaction. But, and then when he, this movie's all over the place. Like, at one point, they're talking, the doctor's talking about, oh, we need to figure this out, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, we're at Richard and his, his fiance's wedding. I'm like, is this a flashback? Was I a, thought it was a flashback. No, there was a time skip. Right, right about that part. Not a big one, but there was enough but of a small, time skip. Yeah, but yeah. I thought at that point, I really thought it was. Because we went with Billy and the doctor from the bar right to the wedding. Yeah. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, why did that? Also, they drained the lake and they didn't find the dead brother in the lake. The dead brother? The one that had the heart attack. No, that was a di- the different body of water different body of water. Yeah, that was like a small man-made, man-made like, pond. Because the doctor mentions that it has two or three drainage points. Mm-hmm. Which means it was man-made. And when you see it, they do, like, a wider shot of, like, the whole pond. And it's just this little thing. It's not the lake that they were on at the beginning. And she threw... She threw the suitcase and the typewriter in the pond. I think it was supposed to be the lake, though. They might have used the pond during the shot, but I think it was supposed to be the lake. See, that was confusing. Yeah. There. there. Explain yourself, Fort Coppola. Explain yourself. (laughs) Can't explain everything. You can if you try. Then it gets dull. You gotta leave the audience something. I'm stupid. Give me more. I really like some of the sound design in this movie. I wish I could have remembered the sound design. Well, it was... Uh, one scene that I noted in particular was there's a scene where Billy is telling Richard's fiance about a dream that he had mm-hmm. with the, the guy crawling up the wall. Yeah. Throughout that scene, there's I didn't notice it until they like physically had the camera shift to it. But there's a slow clock ticking throughout the scene and it's like super quiet at first but then they like the camera pans off his face and goes to the clock that is right next to him and it, the sound starts to get louder and louder and louder and then it comes back down as he like turns oh. away from the clock there's moments like that throughout this whole movie and it's really cool like moments that kind of that one in particular emphasizes like it puts you in his head oh like it's such an interesting scene and i really like how he used sound in this sound in this movie it's a lot of movies at this time didn't emphasize sound that well and he does it in a really cool way okay i did not i did not notice that you should have been paying attention listen i'm doing very important things over here like healing <laughs> okay <sighs> like wishing i could walk oh that's right you'd be sad anyways let's put this train back where it belongs we get to the climax, the end of the film, and the doctor during the wedding, I think it's, yeah, it's during the wedding, decides to bait the killer. And I want, I really wish I knew how the doctor, 
knew where Louise was, where her body was. It had to do with that poem that the, Billy was saying when he got him drunk. Oh, um... Which, by the way, Billy gets drunk after, like, three sips of one drink. Fishy, fishy in the pond. Daddy threw... Daddy caught you... On a hook. On a hook. Like, and then the next line is, like, Daddy hung him by, hung him by the hook or something like that. Because uh, he sit, he goes outside and he sits at fountain, an old fountain, and uh, he's reciting that poem to himself. And as soon as he gets to that line, he's like, oh, shit. And he goes and checks, like, this barn area. I think that's supposed to be a freezer. Is it a freezer? Because there was me hanging in there. And her corpse was very well preserved. I'm, gonna, I'm going to Wikipedia. Fishy, fishy in a brook. Daddy caught you on a hook. Oh, he recites it under hypnosis to help him discover Louise's frozen corpse hidden away in a meat locker. Oh, it is a meat locker. Next okay. to a bloody body is a wax figure of Kathleen. Okay. Yeah. So he takes the figure in a public square to lure the killer out. Yes. Oh, so he uses that nursery rhyme and he makes him recite it to put him under hypnosis. And then he, I guess, Billy tells him things see that is lost dr caleb uses an obscure nursery rhyme recited by billy under hypnosis to help him discover louise's frozen corpse hidden away in a meat locker that's extremely lost see see what i mean that only comes up during that scene where they're at the bar and then it doesn't come up again until the very end. Yeah. Which, and those two scenes aren't that far apart from each no, other. No, they're not. So it's... It, there was... Yeah. there is, See, there's something missing. If they would have continued that scene in the barn where maybe Billy, like, was under hypnosis. Or maybe flashback to when the doctor had Billy under hypnosis as a child. And yeah. he'd say, I've done, or I did bad things, or, you know, did it. Like, if that, that would have made sense. Yeah. There was a little bit of a, do you see why I rant about this? Do you see how I don't have a creative brain? Ignore the painting that I made this week. I don't have a creative brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't have, it, it, I had to go to Wikipedia, read that and be like, oh, okay. Because her corpse was well too preserved to be not in something frozen yeah so all right well yeah essentially that's like where the movie comes to an end yeah like he lures billy out billy tries to kill because uh, um the fiance or wife i all right this poor girl what is your name i'm right here are you kidding me her name's not even here doesn't matter no it matters to me it's bothering me kane kane Oh, Kane. yeah. Look, okay, look at the description for everybody else. And look at her poor description. It just says Mary Mitchell as Kane. Well, to be fair, she doesn't have much character yeah, to her. Billy also has the same thing. Uh, Whoever wrote the Wikipedia on this, you suck. So Kane goes to touch the Kathleen doll. And Billy's like, don't touch her. And he starts attacking her. Billy could have killed Kane right there on their, uh, during the wedding. Yeah. But Richard and the doctor kind of... Richard stepped in between and the doctor shot Billy and Billy falls into the lake and mm. that's where the movie ends. It just stops. It just ends it there. It ends. Absolutely infuriates me when that happens. Well, that was an old school thing. They used to just kind of end once the the threat was 
taken care of. more. I want to know how the family copes. I want to know what happens afterwards. I want to know if the mom's okay. I want to know if they live a happy life. <laughs> I want to know these things. Well, unfortunately, you never will. This is it. This <clears throat> is what we got. <clears throat> Fuck. <laughs> Did you not enjoy the film? Okay, I will say this. I like this film more than you would think because... To me, this is like a proper, like, 1960s era mystery. It's not amazing, but I still think it's a decent movie. I liked this. I wasn't mad at it. No, I I personally thought it was pretty... Are you happy with... We, at the end of the last episode, we were both hoping that this was going to be a good movie. Are you okay with it? Are you happy with it, okay with it, or disappointed? I loved it. Really? Okay. I really, really like it. Like, I thought like it was visually really good. Yeah, it has problems, but... This is the early years of real... Like, real, I feel like real cinema didn't really get going until, like, the 70s, in my opinion. Like, give re- or take. Like, give or take, like, certain films, but, like, nowadays, you're churning beautiful cinema and beautiful movies... Movies, movie, movie. You're movies. churning out these amazing movies <laughs> daily, weekly, monthly. Back then, it, it it was a lot harder to churn out these movies. So I feel like if you're talking about some of the great movies of the '60s, this is a pretty good one. I mean, what are the other movies right off the bat that you can think of from the '60s? It's hard because some things I I don't know exactly when they came out, so. I go right to well, the 70s. Like, I automatically start thinking of the 70s when I think of movies. Well, it doesn't help that 70s and 80s, like, at least for me, are like, those are the movies I love the most. Yeah. So. Like, I love old classic Hollywood movies. I really do. I love them. They were amazing. But would you agree that a lot of those mil- f- movies were very fluffy? There was a lot of fluff. There was a lot of... Yeah. Like, there's a there's a word I'm trying to think of. It's on the tip of my tongue and I can't get it. Not fluff, but they were like there was a like a rose colored filter. Like they were happier, they were grander. Sure, you had Gone with the Wind, which was a movie about a very tragic and terrible time. But there was still a lot of beauty, a lot of things that they that they were showing to offset the terrible nature of what that movie really is about. The same thing with uh, like South Pacific, Sound of Music, all of those movies. I'm only mentioning like mostly musicals, but that's literally what's sitting next to me. Yeah. Um, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Those movies were very lighthearted. That was a very tough time, especially the 30s and 40s. Those were a very tough time, you know. And then the 50s, 60s. I mean, not. I'm not saying that we're not. We're in real rough times now too. I mean, for God's sakes, the price of gas is almost six bucks here. The price of groceries, I don't want to fucking talk about it. <laughs> like, the price of life is astronomical. But you need movies, you need entertainment to kind of keep you... Grounded. Yeah, you do. And I think the 60s, I think the 60s and 70s and 80s is really when it started getting going because you had more technology, you had these amazing artists that were influenced by the 30s, 40s, and 50s, getting going, doing better, you know. Now we've got, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe that if you watch any Marvel movie, you watch any Marvel movie, you can sit there and pick. They got inspiration from this movie in the 50s, this movie in the 60s, this movie in the 70s. Yeah. Well, everything now is influenced by something else. Oh, God, yeah. It 
Be, what what were they influenced by? Imagination. Well, this one, Psycho. What was Psycho <laughs> influenced by? At the time. Alfred Hitchcock's crazy ass fucking mind. Pretty much, yeah. I would have loved to have sat down and talked to that man. I mean, even him, though, he was influenced by, like, the work that other people was, were doing. So he was like, oh, I can do something like that, and just decided to. And who was Edgar Allan Poe influenced by? And who, who the was, fuck knows? Who was H.P. Alcohol. Lo- <laughs> drugs. <laughs> and who was H.P. Lovecraft influenced by? So many drugs. So many drugs. <laughs> Welcome to Rhode Island, where we have H.P. Lovecraft and drugs. <laughs> I'm not really kidding, but I'm kidding. <laughs> So much alcohol. Closing questions. I ran out of notes a long time ago. I mean, I've got. Do I have. All right. Do I have any other notes? I would love to know how Billy psychologically could have attacked his mother. Because he says at one point, I love my mother. I love my mother. You're talking about during the scene where she was in the shed thing? In the shed and she was putting the tiara on Kathleen. Like, of course, Louise wouldn't have known that. Louise didn't know that there was a Kathleen doll and that Billy was protecting it. So she didn't know she was putting her in danger by saying she wants the tiara. Yeah. But how psychologically could Billy have attacked his own mother? I don't know. I don't think that's a question we're going to be able to get answered for us. No. But I think he was just so guilt ridden and so angry and trying to protect this thing that he would have killed any. I I honestly think if she didn't, if she didn't run, she would have gotten killed. Well, you kind of have to look at this movie as this what we're the events we're seeing are the boiling point yeah so like he he has been living with this for fucking what decades seven years only seven years yeah that's what she said it was seven years ago all right so seven years and it's been haunting him all this time and then like this time this time period this weekend or whatever the hell it is he he just that was the boiling over. He, he just lost it. lost it and started killing people. I mean, Louise was kind of a shitty character, so I don't blame him for uh, hack and slashing that bitch. To- <laughs> no. No. All right. Overall thoughts on the film? I've said it before. I like this one. I like it more than the last one, even though I love Boris Karloff. So, um, But this one was, it was good. This is, uh, this is, I'm proud it's in the archive. I'm proud it's going to go on in the collection. But um, not mad at it. Well, I've already said, I personally really love this one. Uh, I visually thought it was great. Sound work was great. Like, yes, it has its flaws. Most movies do. Uh, for a first, like, debut film, holy shit. Like, this was powerful. And I've said before, I'm a huge fucking fan of black and white. I just love the look of it. And this is, this one looks amazing. Especially this, uh, restored transfer from uh, Vestron video. There were a couple of points where I know you can only do so much with old film on a Blu-ray, but there were points in this film that I thought it could have been recorded like yesterday. It was so clear. And then there were points where I was like, oh, this is a 1960s movie. I can see the you can see some of the damage which I know you that damage is just oh that's just like yeah. you love that that little bit of damage on stuff i love the, that reminder of like this was once on film on not on vhs on film this was reels. recorded on film yep like oh that's amazing <laughs> did you have any favorites 
the American Girl line. That line, just knowing, I read that fun fact and then I saw the scene and I was like, that's so cool. I like that. That really got me. Now I want to listen to that song. For me, the whole fucking movie. Like, I really, really, I I guess if I had to pick one scene that, two scenes that really stood out, it would be uh, the scene where she, where, I forgot her name already. Kane? Nope. Louise? Louise. Louise uh, is snooping through the little girl's room. Yeah. Love that scene. Visually, it's fucking incredible. And her death scene. Those two scenes were great. Yeah. I I mean, there were a little bit about the death scene that I I hated, but it's 19... I got to put that in my head. It's 1960, Leah. It is not going to be a a 2022 fucking slasher blood everywhere guts porn. I mean, we just finished the third season of The Boys. (laughs) These movies are not going to be like that. (laughs) Does it work? Yeah. Yeah, this does work. I don't. I mean, there's no real like explanation for me to say it. It just it does work. I agree. I think it works. Um, yeah, it's not perfect. Like it could have been more fleshed out. It could have been more clear at some points. But overall, I think it works. Yeah. Would you recommend it? Absolutely, I would. It's an old black and white. It's a horror mystery. I would say it's in the. Not a horror genre, not an absolute horror genre, but it's like a, a mystery, like a whodunit rough kind of thing. I would recommend it to people. Yeah, I agree. I would absolutely recommend this, um, especially if you like if you're somebody who likes things like Psycho or yeah. House on Haunted Hill or classical any of those like horror. Yeah, classical yeah. horror films. Definitely, yep. definitely, definitely, definitely see this. Definitely. How would you make this today? Don't touch it. You were ready for that I one. was ready for it. Because you know what? Yes, it has its flaws. Yes, there are problems. Do not touch this. Leave it there. These old, Some of these older movies just deserve their time in the spotlight. There's no point in remaking it. It's been remade before. Like, it, it literally has been. And I've been sitting on this the whole time. There is a Dementia 13 from 2017. Is there really? Yep. It says Dementia 13... Film by Richard LeMay. I have to see this now. Oh, God. There's a remake of this? Really? Yep. And, oh my God, Billy Holloran is played by a woman. Okay. All right. Yep. This is a American horror film directed by Richard LeMay. In February 2022, it was the last film released by Chiller Films. Oh, wow. Okay. The plot literally says the plot revolves around a vengeful ghost, a mysterious killer, and a family in a night of terror at a secluded estate. So basically the same. But the alternative title is the Holleran Mansion, and the production company is called Holleran LLC. So they, so whoever made this really, really loved this movie. I mean, I can see why. It doesn't even exist on Blu-ray. Nope. You have to get the DVD. It's on Hulu. Is it? Yeah, it says premium subscription with Hulu. Oh, all right. I'm going to have to check it out on there. I'm going to have to check out this trailer when we're done. (laughs) We're going to bring this shit up on YouTube and see how bad it is. But yeah, don't touch this movie. It already has a remake. It could be shitty. It could be decent. We don't know. Because we we know there have been uh, a total recall. We've done total recall. And there is a remake. And That is a shit sandwich. There, see? I will never touch it. (laughs) 
I don't touch such shit sandwiches. Yeah, I... Well, now that I know that there's a remake, um, personally, I can't... Like, if I were to remake this, I'd probably just try and make it as close to the original as possible. Yeah. So, I, I can't say that I want a remake. No. I like this the way it is. Yeah. Flaws and all. If you remade it, you better put that boom mic back in just as a, uh, a little... Yeah. <laughs> Chef's kiss. <laughs> all right. Is this mainstream exploitation or other? This... Now, I must preface this. Are we talking about 1963 question or 2022 question? So are you asking me to answer for the year to, uh, 1963 or the year 2022, where this sits? Go with your gut. My gut says this is other. It's not completely mainstream, but back then they were making a lot of like horror mystery stuff. So it could be in between mainstream and other back then. Now it is grind, Grindhouse Other because I could see this playing in Grindhouse theaters as we get older. Agree. I want I want to put it in Other, but knowing the circumstances in which it is made and the history of the film a little bit, I can't help but uh, it's not exploitation. It's definitely a Grindhouse movie. Yeah. But it's not exploitation. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm gonna say other. Other, okay. Do you have anything else about the film that you want to talk about? Go watch this one. This one's interesting. Like, I know we've talked to, like, on this podcast, we give you all the spoilers. Obviously, spoiler warning, we're gonna give away the whole fucking plot. But we're also gonna nitpick some things to where, if you're very interested to see why I nitpick about things missing, go watch it. If you're... If you're interested in seeing why Sean absolutely loved this, go watch this. A lot of these movies that we, one or the two of us love, there's a reason for it. So I highly, go watch this one. It was what, about an hour and 10 minutes? Wasn't really that long. Kept my intrigue most of the time. I got distracted by Halloween decorations for a little bit, so I can't talk. But, you know. All right. Well, that brings our discussion on Dementia 13 to an end. But don't go anywhere just yet. Please stay tuned for the coming attractions. I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker.
Oh, Leah. Oh, Sean. I have such sights to show you. No, you don't, because I've already seen it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I fucking love Hellraiser. This was one of the first movies we watched together. This is. We, you came over. All I remember is you came over. It was the middle of summer. I didn't have air conditioning. It was 4th of July weekend. So the whole street was closed. Yep. And I remember like everybody's like, oh, we're going to go watch. I used to live in a little town here in Rhode Island where um, in Hope, uh, where the whole like area that I lived in would shut down like this whole part of the road and they'd have fireworks display on 4th of July like you knew it we left we went to go get pizza we came back we hunkered down in my room it was about 95 degrees it was fucking it hot it was fucking hot and I remember just sitting there going I'm so afraid of Hellraiser I've always been afraid of Hellraiser because I'm like I heard it was the most terrifying fucking horror movie ever it was horrible I'd hate it I'd have nightmares I fucking giggled the whole time I was so happy watching this movie. You have no idea. No idea. I fell in love with the fucking... Oh, God. What are they? Cenobites. I fell in love with the Cenobites, and I I just know that if I ever go to hell, if it is not a Hellraiser hell, I will be disappointed. <laughs> 100% right now. Cannot wait for this. Yeah, I... I saw Hellraiser very early in life. Um, I have to say... How early and am I texting your mother no, right actually, now? No, actually, this wasn't her fault. This was my uncle. Uh, oh, my really? My uncle showed me stuff like Hellraiser and um, Evil Dead and all that. How old were you? Uh, I gotta say... Were you devil digits? Possibly, possibly not. Oh I might, my god! I want to say, like, maybe ten, but I might have been... Eight or nine still. Like, it was around that er- that time. I didn't watch this until we first started hanging out. Was this the first year we dated? Yeah. So, I didn't watch this until 2018. And yeah. I was still scared of it till we started hitting play. I saw... I saw this movie very early in life, and, like, the imagery from it stuck with me. I fucking love it. I want that cube. The lament configuration. Yes, I want that in the house somewhere. We should get it. I like it, so if somebody touches it, fucking <laughs> freaks out and things go off. Oh, <laughs> uh, this one, guys, hold on, hold on to your assholes. This one's gonna be a good one for us. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this again. Like every time I watch this, I have fun with it. And the best part about watching this is we have options. We can either watch this on the blu-ray on the tv or we have a old school rca rca RCA. television sitting over here with the vcr player and part of me is like we should watch the blu-ray because we watched it on netflix yeah we should watch the blu-ray so we can see how crisp it is but on the other half of me is like do the fucking tape do it it. in the tape in the tape put it in because you want to hear that noise when it starts (laughs) everybody knows what i'm talking about the home the disney home movie (laughs) skip and do that thing well it's just not a disney film (laughs) look all i'm saying is i love it when it has those errors and it skips i think my favorite is when red letter media is like oh we can't watch this it's not playable i'd be like why are you taking it out continue playing it (laughs) we will make our own commentary boys but that's just me so we have a decision to make because we're we're doing good on time 
Yes, we are. We are doing great on time, and we could possibly watch this and another one. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. Uh, but first, we should end this because it is getting hot in our apartment. <laughs> yes, we need an AC break. <laughs> oh, God. Our cats are both sprawled out like they're dying. <laughs> All right. But that brings this discussion to an end. If you want to keep up with everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at GrindhouseCast. Chat with Leah on Discord. All the links for everything are down in the show notes. Listen to us. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. New episodes come out first thing every Monday morning. If you like what we're doing and you want to show us some support, you can find all that information down below as well. We now have some great options for you guys who decide to support us. Um, I believe there's three different tier levels and you can get yourself access to getting episodes early. Um, We'll give you shout outs in newer episodes and you'll even be able to get yourself some sweet bonus content pretty soon, which I'm very excited about. I hope you guys are too. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thanks for listening and keep watching. felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.